2: I was just thinking about this before we went on the air, partly because of that Jody Mitchell song. The, you know, call me at the station, the lines are open. The lines are always open. I mean, we don't have anything we can do to close the lines. Anyway, the lines are open today, whatever the hell that means. Uh, and it does mean that we have no guests today. That's a plan. Not You know, nobody canceled. Um, because, in fact, we want to talk to the callers a, a little bit more than we typically do. Before we get to the callers and before we get to the first topic, Um, I want to talk a little bit about callers and phones. This will be really fast. but So for 16 years, I worked in commercial talk radio, where, in fact, the phones are super important. Uh, The phones were super important on that show, Uh, and um, we cultivated callers. Some of them became kind of little mini celebrities on the show. They had their own theme music, stuff like that. When I came over to public radio, I, I felt that there was kind of a different model here because, you know, so often our producers, and I, I have just terrific producers who work on my show, and they often get these kind of just, you know, A-plus level guests. And, and I feel like, you know, the callers aren't their star anymore. The guests are the star because the guests have so much expertise. And I, I you know, I want to get all that expertise out on the air so you can hear it. So I haven't used callers I use callers less than most public radio talk show hosts do, which is ironic because I came uh, from an environment where I use them way, way more than anybody does in public radio. So I've been sort of wondering, well, how do I solve this? Because I do want to get callers on the air. And I think sometimes the best thing to do is what we're doing right now, which is just not have guests so the callers can really shine and have room to breathe. All right, so that means I have to stop talking so they can have room to breathe. Let me tell you the first first couple of segments, I think, we're going to be talking about focusing on two of the stories about sexual harassment and maybe more than sexual harassment, um, the stories of comedian Louis C.K. and of Judge Roy Moore, now a candidate for U.S. Senate. I'm kind of hoping we can focus a little bit on Louis C.K. at the beginning uh, and then maybe in the second segment be focusing a little bit more on Roy Moore. But it's hard to contain these stories because it's not just those stories, obviously. It's all kinds of other stories. It's Kevin Spacey. Uh, It's it's Richard Dreyfus now. It's all kinds of uh, stars and producers. And I mean, the, the, the common thread is that all these people are famous, which is, I think, why these things are big stories. Uh, it's, it's the stories of other politicians, from George H.W. Bush to Bill Clinton. It's hard to contain these. And one of the things that I want to keep saying, you'll hear me say this more than once today, every single one of these stories has a different fact pattern. You know, they're not all the same story. There's a temptation to want to look at them as all the same story. But Louis C.K.'s story is different from Roy Moore's story. And Roy Moore's story is different uh, from Roman Polanski and Woody Allen and Bill Clinton. And I mean, you know. Uh, Anyway, so there's a lot of questions, including how do you treat each one of these people, not how you treat these people or whether they can come back, because they're also they don't have the same jobs. They're not looking for the same jobs. Louis C.K. doesn't have the same job as Roy Moore. Uh, Roy Moore is running for Senate. Louis K. is not running for Senate. It, it, Louis C.K. is not running for Senate. So all of these things, you know, you have to kind of focus in on the exact exact fact part pattern. I have a lot of things I want to say uh, about each of these cases. Uh, but uh, I also want to get you guys involved. So let me give out, give out the number again. There's some people online already. Um, and so it's uh, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. Um, all right, so let's, uh, we've already got a couple of calls here. I guess we'll just we'll, we'll go through them. I've got other things I want to bring up specifically about this. But here's John in Hartford. Hi, John. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Um. So
3: I I wanted to bring up a post that you had on your Facebook page about a month, I think almost exactly a month ago. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about Harvey Weinstein, and that had just broken, and talking about how you thought there was really overkill on the coverage. And you had a lot of people, I think, who agreed with you, some who did not. I was probably more in that uh, that group. But I'm wondering, you know, I do think that, yes, they're all different, Mm -hmm. but I think there is a through line on all of this. And I think what some of the responses were is that the more we hear about this, the more we're going to hear more people willing to come out. So my my question to you is, do you think there's still overkill on, no.
2: No. on I, all this? I, I, and, I how, have... and how did it change? Well, yeah, so I've had opportunity to revise my thinking about that post. At the time, the only real story out there, I mean, there was maybe the producer at Amazon. That that one had sort of come out a little bit. But, you know, for for what seemed like about 10 days, uh, all anybody was talking about was Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein. And what did people think about this? And interviewing other people about what they thought about it. Ironically, some of the people who were just... Uh, interviewed for comment now have their own sexual allocation uh, fact patterns mounted up against them. But so at the time, it just seemed like, wow, there's an awful lot going on in the world. Puerto Rico is suffocating. Why are we only talking about Harvey Weinstein? But, yeah, obviously, in the aftermath of this, uh, I do, do see that there obviously is a larger problem, a larger problem in the entertainment industry. The one thing that I would say about this, one of the many things I would say about this, John, though, is, you know, We're talking about all this because these are famous people Um, and that's fine. Famous people are the things that get you a magazine cover or get you a lead story on a TV newscast. That's how it gets. I mean, if this were about, you know, a a, a cocktail waitress in a nice restaurant or something like that who is being harassed, nobody would talk about it. And let's admit the reality is that women and men at times are being sexually harassed all over the place in much less powerful, much less prominent jobs. It's sometimes way worse than some of the things that have been alleged against, say, Louis C.K. I mean, the reason that this conversation is going on is because it involves a lot of famous and powerful people. Uh, and and that's good. That's fine. It, it should go on. Uh, and and famous and powerful people should be brought to heel and, and, and forced to talk about this stuff. But it, I would hate for it to gloss over stuff that I think is going on, you know, in, in a much less prominent uh, milieu or lots of those milieu all, all over the country.
3: Do you think there's going to be any kind of a trickle-down effect? Because it seems to me that there is sort of an empowerment that people are feeling mm. that, you know, if if these stars, if these other people are putting themselves at risk – and certainly, you know, the, the girls in the uh, in the Moore case are not exactly stars. You know, he is, but but they're putting themselves at quite a bit of risk – it seems to me this re- really may empower people, or women mostly, to to come out, and certainly the you know the men in in the uh, uh, you know in some cases as well.
2: I hope you're right. I hope there is a trickle down effect. I hope an awful lot of other uh, people f- who who don't maybe have the kind of traction that some of these uh, people now complaining have, because let's face it. Also, I mean, look, if you're you know uh, some of the people who've lodged these complaints against prominent men they're not as powerful as the men but they're not as powerless uh, as as some of the people in very vulnerable occupations you know i mean if you're a a maid somewhere and god forbid you should be you know a maid without legal papers somewhere you are so helpless compared to say a comedian at some comedy festival in aspen so uh, but yeah let's hope it trickles down let's hope people feel that they have the power um, and the courage to come forward, too, and that they understand they don't have to put up with stuff like that. Um, here's Greg in Saybrook. Hi, Greg. You're on the air. Greg? Yeah, it's hi. Me? Yeah. That's you. Yeah, hey, uh, this
4: might sound—I like your former uh, guest there. Uh, this might sound incredibly naive, but I do not understand how anyone can get anything out of having— some kind of a relation where the other person doesn't want to be there. And if you could solve that, well, I think you'd have to solve the whole problem. But I don't get – it doesn't even compute in my mind.
2: All right, so let me say two things about that, or maybe three things, let's say. One of the I, – I have the same problem, which is what – Where would be, why would this be fulfilling? That Obviously, if we want to be in a sexual relationship with somebody, what's exciting about it is the mutuality of it. Uh, Nobody wants to be in a sexual relationship. Well, I wouldn't think, and you and I wouldn't think, Greg, that somebody would want to be in a sexual relationship with a person who was not attracted to us. I mean, that would be, I can't imagine anything more sexually enervating than that. We're not, unfortunately, typical of the entire human race. So there's one thing that I call the Louis de Palma principle. And Louis de Palma, you may remember, is the character played by Danny DeVito on the series Taxi. Uh, And he was this kind of unbearable, you know, person of rather low moral character. And he, at one point, described something that he so he was in charge of the cabbies if you never, if you never saw the show. He was the dispatcher, and the guy who was kind of in charge of all these taxi drivers, but he had formerly been, of course, a taxi driver, and one in one episode when they were sitting around talking uh, about you know sex and also driving a cab and how that comes up. Uh, Danny DeVito's character said, "What I used to do to them, what I used to do is I'd be driving along if there's a good looking woman in back, I would say." How would you like to just go to my apartment and have sex? And one of the other cab drivers, probably Joe Hersko, said, did that work? And he said, yes, once. Uh, and, and there are a lot of guys like that. Like they will do something. They will, they will make a kind of overture that seems hideously inappropriate if they think it might work once. Um, and even though other people might be totally repulsed by it. So there's sort of that. But, you know, the other part of this is when I look at some of these stories, and I think Louis C.K. is a great example, it does seem to me like he has a psychological problem, right? I mean, nobody normal does this particular thing. Louis C.K., just so we're clear, all of the accusations have to do not with him touching anybody, but with him touching himself, in the presence of other people or while on the phone with other people, people that he didn't know, people with whom that was not an appropriate thing to do. What he really wanted to do in the presence of a woman to whom or toward whom he felt something. God knows what that something was, but what he wanted to do was to masturbate. And um, and so that's what he did. Uh, And to me, that is suggestive of a psychiatric compulsion and a psychiatric compulsion isn't necessarily a get out of trouble free card for everybody. But I do I do wonder how we include that in this kind of conversation, because it's also easy to sort of say all of these guys are creeps Um, and. It's hard to refute that statement. <laughs> all of these guys are creeps. But they're all different kinds of creeps. And the ones who clearly are battling some kind of weird demon that's making them do stuff like this, do you give them grant them any latitude, particular, I mean, this is so difficult because there's so many overlays to this. And one of the overlays is the most incredibly, one of the most incredibly cynical crisis management techniques. Uh, in America today and for the last 20 years when you are faced with something like this is to say that you're going to get treatment. You're going to get treatment right now. In fact, you're already you're in a treatment facility. Your spokesperson is answering questions for you because you have checked into a treatment facility. And I mean, the truth is, I, I suppose a number of these people do that legitimately because they recognize, wow, I have like a psychiatric disorder, which is now I'm on the threshold of completely wrecking my career. I better go get help. And then some people say it because it's the, one of the things that you can say to keep the wolves at bay a little bit. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, I don't exactly know how to parse that. I mean, I look at Louis C.K., and I think, as Greg does, well, that seems like a very unrewarding activity. You know, In other words, in terms of the things that can go on between consenting men and women, which this is not one of because they didn't consent. But when you think of the things that can go on between men and women, this strikes me as a very low reward, incredibly high risk activity. So why is he doing it? Why does he do it? And I assume he does it because he can't stop himself. Now, you know, and this, of course, is something that he has incorporated into his comedy. In fact, before I take another call, I want to say one thing about the specifics of the Louis C.K. thing. The thing that makes Louis C.K. such an interesting case and such a troubling case is that he probably in the lead among modern American comedians anyway is the person who talks about these dark places in the human psyche. Uh, he, he, and one of the things that he kind of invites us to do is to come into a somewhat safe space which is the stand-up comedy routine, um, and talk about things that are troubling. Um, in an environment where we can laugh at something that's really dark, right? That's sort of part of the Louis C.K. bargain. The covenant we have with a comedian like this this is, okay, we're going to take something that's really actually pretty depressing, and we're going to talk about it in such a way that we can laugh about it. And the reason that I can do this with you is that, A, yes, I am mining a certain part of my own psyche. I'm also mining my own observations of of other people. Um, But What I'm not doing is simply talking about something I actually do when I talk about these really extreme forms of behavior. That's not me and it's not you, but it's something we think about. And so I'm going to get it out in the open in a way that we can all laugh at it. It's a bargain something like that. And one of the things that he's clearly done is violate the terms of that unspoken agreement, that he is much more – involved in this then he is detached from it I, I do want to just play a little clip of louis ck i started watching some of his old material over the weekend to see how it how it landed i guess now that we know what we know uh so here we go a woman saying yes to a date with a man is
4: literally insane <laughs> and ill-advised <laughs> And the, the whole species existence counts on them doing it. And I don't know how they, how do women still go out with guys? When you consider the fact that there is no greater threat to women than men. We're the number one threat to women. Globally and historically, we're the number one cause of, of injury and mayhem to women. We're the worst thing that ever happens to them.
2: That's true. You know what our number one threat is? Heart disease. That's the whole thing. That's it. Just our own heart So that was really pretty funny in, in a way. And he also is talking about something that's kind of real, some a set of anxieties that exist uh, between men and women on both sides. Uh, the problem is that he's much more a part of that problem than we had ever realized. Um, I have more to say about this, but I also did want to get callers involved, and we haven't had a woman caller yet, so let's get that going too. Here's Sarah in Wallingford. Hi, you're on the air.
0: Hi, Hi. how are you? Good.
5: Uh, Well, so I I wanted to kind of uh, connect what one of your first callers said about that trickle-down effect, and and while I think a lot of the good that's coming out of this is is women feeling empowered to to share their stories, um, I'm wondering what kind of trickle-down effect can be in place to help teach men and women to not commit these horrible things Um, and I think you know Louis CK he's kind of coming from the angle that well there's nothing we can do about it because men are already just horrible human beings and and I'm I will always be this way and I just wonder um, if if there's a place if you think perhaps there's a place like in public school or in sex ed um, for people to be educated better on what is and isn't okay you know we've got the the idea you know no means no but then it kind of just the conversation stops there. Yeah. Um, and I wonder what you think.
2: Well, let me say this. First of all, one of the reasons that all of this is coming out right now in the entertainment industry and to a certain degree in the political sphere is that those are some of the remaining places where, in fact, there aren't conversations like this taking place. If you work almost in almost any, you know, business environment in America. Chances are either you or your supervisor has been through a very rigorous training on sexual harassment and, and often the kind of training that involves an online course where at the end you have to answer questions and print out a certificate proving that you took this course. When I came here to WNPR, I, I went through, uh, a, they have, I don't know, some kind of outside consultant and you a whole bunch of us go to a class and we take the class and it has to be certified. Now, the reason that happened in the business environment had to do with the Chattanooga forklift case—I think that's the name of the thing, name of the case—and mm-hmm. a lot of other big judgments. I mean, companies don't do this because they're so wonderful; they do it because they know they can be sued. Because long before this whole conversation started, there was another conversation that started, and it had to do with women seeking redress in courts. And the minute they started to get big judgments, everybody got religion about this. So,
5: well, sure, but but again, I guess what you're talking about is is the um, you know what to do when when these things have already happened. But what about You know, teenagers in high school, is there a way to open this conversation to educate people to not become? sexual predators.
2: Well, I would, I would, first of all, I know, I don't think I am talking about what to do when this already happened. What I'm telling you is that companies all over America, because of a fear of exposure, want this to never happen. And so okay. they they rigorously train everybody. And if it does happen, of course, yes, then they want to be able to prove that they trained them so it's their fault and not the company's fault. But basically, they want it to never happen. They don't want to go to court. So there's, there is a big kind of prophylactic effort uh, on, at, at the level of corporate America. But yeah, you're right. This should, I, if it doesn't go on in, in public health classes in public schools, it absolutely mm. should. And maybe absolutely. you're right. Maybe that's one of the things, one of the ways that people, I, I think it also varies a lot depending on what part of the country you're in um, sure. and it shouldn't anyway. But thanks for that call and thanks for making that point. You're absolutely right. One great trickle down effect would be more education of young men in particular so that they know that this is not cool. Uh, Here's Christina in Southington. Hi, you're on the air. Whoop! no, Christina's not on the air anymore. So let me just say a couple more things about the Louis C.K. part of this, which is, you know, yes, this is going on in the entertainment industry because the entertainment industry is one of the most under-policed areas. In America, probably. And, you know, as Mark Marin said uh, about this recently, I should also tell you, just to interrupt myself, that on Saturday night, I'm going to be on stage at the Bushnell as part of the Connecticut Forum with Mark Maron, Tig Notaro, and Fred Armisen. Uh, and there's just kind of no way that we can avoid this conversation. Uh, particularly because Tignataro was one of the comedians who first got the ball rolling about Louis C.K. and Mark Maron is somebody who knows Louis C.K. quite well and has interviewed him and is now saying that he feels very lied to over the years by Louis C.K. when he asked him because these rumors have been bubbling for a long time when he asked him and one of the things that Maron said was you know there isn't like. An H.R. department. He didn't put it exactly this way. But what he's saying is comedy doesn't have an H.R. department. You know, I mean, if you're working for a company doing comedy, they have an H.R. department. But if you're doing stand up and going to comedy festivals and working in clubs and stuff, there is no H.R. department. So it's really one of the reasons why there is an out of control feeling about a lot of this stuff that exists less. I'm not saying it doesn't exist in corporate America. Of course it does. But it exists less in places that have put in safeguards. And as I said, they put in safeguards not because they're wonderful, enlightening, enlightened people, but because they cannot live with those kinds of court decisions. Another thing I want to say about Louis C.K., and I don't know, I mean, people are processing this kind of stuff differently, this whole question of what do you say after the shoe drops? And I actually am kind of impressed by Louis C.K.'s completeness of apology. First of all, how many people ever say, yes, this all happened, all of it happened? I mean, he said that. I mean, you know, like Bill Clinton didn't say that, just for starters. You know, I mean, Louis C.K. said that. Um, There are people who don't like some of the wording of his uh, apology. They feel as though it— Emphasizes too much the kind of admiration that was felt for him that he feels allowed him to get away with this stuff. But I, you know, in terms of things that represent a start, I think having somebody, you know, Roy Moore is not going to do this. Uh, Having somebody come forward and say, yes, it's all true. You know, I mean, th- to me, that's kind of a watershed moment. Uh, and I wonder how many other people are going to be able to do that. All right. Let me grab one a more call here and uh, then we'll take a break. We're going to come back to this topic, maybe a little bit more of the Roy Moore stuff after this. Here's Ben from Meriden. Hi, Ben. You're on the air.
6: Hi. How you doing? Good. Um, yes, yeah, so I just wanted to call, give my quick two cents. Um, I'm a hip hop producer. Uh, Mm. locally. And, um, you know, I start to see things in the smaller end of the music industry that not necessarily everybody sees. Um, You know, by the time that artists become giant stars and famous and all that, you know, you have to go through what we call the mud. Mm. And, um, you know, particularly in the female form, when you see a lot of female pop artists or, um, you know, rap artists, even country artists you see that the sexualization of their brand only it doesn't start immediately it almost starts as a way to garner more attention Mm -hmm. and it comes to a point where we almost expect it that if you're going to be a a famous female entertainment um, celebrity you need to be sexually attractive and men that and we kind of as a culture expect that, which to me, you know, I like to base everything off talent, but people just kind of expect that. And when you see it start at a low level, it's when maybe, you know, there's a great singer and she can't get a gig, but someone who is willing to show a little more skin or just do something a little more provocative gets booked and gets to do more shows and more opportunities you look at it and you say well where does that come from and why is that entering our industry why why is that there and i think a lot of it goes back to what we're taught from the very beginning as men in our early years and not necessarily what we see when we become the consumer of these in our late teens into our adolescence um So, I don't know, I just wanted to make that comment, you know, to show people not everything happens immediately. Um,
2: Although I I feel like we're a little far off the path from what we're talking about. Now we're kind of talking about the male gaze part of this, and and it's certainly not at all confined to music. Uh, I mean, there is a term that that I can't say on the air. Let's say it sounds a little bit like snackable. Uh, And you may have seen the Amy Schumer, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Patricia Arquette and whoever else. Oh, I can't remember who was the last person in that. But anyway, uh, the, the great video they did about the, Julia, I think it's Julia louis Dreyfus's last day of being, shall we say, snackable. But, I mean, there's a standard that's applied to women in the entertainment industry that isn't applied to men. Men go on forever. I think in that same bit they talk about the fact that Bruce Willis is married, getting married to a baby lamb. You know, that men just sort of become, are just sort of viable in that way forever. And, and that does have a lot to do with the male gaze. I feel like, although I'm sure that there's a way to connect all of that. It's a little bit different from what we're talking about, uh, about the way in which uh, some of the men in this industry feel as though they can take liberties that no sane person should think that he can take. Um, Anyway, our number is 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. I'll try to flip this conversation a little bit more towards the Roy Moore part of it after this
0: kick off the sand flies, honey the love still flowing if it says forget it but your heart's still smoking call me at the station the lights are open
2: we are back we are doing something we don't do probably often enough uh, and that is just uh, talk to people on the phone Uh not book any guests. I mean, we're very proud of the way we put together shows and the guests we get and the conversations that we orchestrate here on this show. But that – That's no excuse for not talking to callers, too. So that's what we're doing today. There's no guest. The number is 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. We're talking about certain facets of the national conversation that started, I think, with the Harvey Weinstein um, uh, allegations or or revelations uh, and has spilled out over onto George Takai and Kevin Spacey and Richard Dreyfuss and Dustin Hoffman and a whole bunch of producers I never heard of and... And and Brett Ratner and Jeffrey Tambor, maybe. And I mean, it's just like pick somebody now. It seems like there's there's a, a, a set of charges that goes along with the name. So it may be easier to ultimately name the people who don't seem to have this problem. All right. So um, here's. Uh, and I do want to sort of flip from there a little bit to the Roy Moore stuff, which I feel has some some differences uh, that are worth accentuating and talking about, and implications, too, that are worth talking about. But uh, one or two other people want to talk about this part of it. Here's Amy in Hamden. Hi, Amy.
7: Hi. Um, I just wanted to make the distinction between uh, sexual attraction and power um, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of the men that I've been talking to about this expressed what your earlier caller did, which is that they don't understand why someone would be interested in a non-consensual interaction. And I think that the point that this is, you know, when we talk about rape, we're talking about violence, not sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, in these cases, it's about power. It's not about um, attraction or sexuality.
2: It certainly, I mean, once again, it certainly is in an awful lot of these cases. I, I, I As I said at the beginning, I hate to the term these cases because each one of them is kind of different. Uh, yeah. I, I, do, I would agree that power is something that runs through a lot of it. And, you know, once again, going back and watching Louis C.K.'s material this weekend was so interesting because it's really like he just laid the whole blueprint for what we're talking about right now. He just didn't explain what he had to do with it. So there's another part. I can't remember whether it's in from the same a uh, comedy special that that we played a clip from before where he talks about the difference between somebody who was good looking in high school and somebody like him. And he said, you know, if you're good looking in high school, you're going to get a lot worse looking probably as it goes along. He goes, he's pointing to himself. He goes, I looked like this in high school and it really didn't work in high school. It didn't work to look like this. And then he talks about power and attainment and income uh, as ways in which the, the game changes. And he even, I can't remember how he does it, but he has a little equation of something plus something over income squared or something, this kind of notion that as men attain other things and some of their insecurities about earlier stuff fall away, that they become more attractive, which I think is a story that men tell themselves. It's not necessarily a story that women can always identify with. But um, I would agree.
7: Yeah. I, just, I, I think it's really important to make the clarification, though, that this is not—that that, Whatever kind of sexual stimulation these men are getting is wrapped up in notions of power and aggression and violence. Right. That um, this is not some simple sexuality. It's not somebody or some people who have uh, strange sexual picadillos. This is this is really about a power dynamic, not about sexuality.
2: I think that's quite fair. All right, we're gonna. Um uh, take a call. I, I would like to switch a little bit away from, I mean, the Louis C.K. thing is fascinating. I could talk about it all day. I do, I would quickly add, I really want to see the movie that they are now withholding, you know, the, 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 I, the I Love You, Daddy movie. It was a good a debut. was going to premiere last week. Now it's been pulled off the market. Some of that might be financial self-protection by by the studio. But um, I feel like, uh, you know, Bitsy Kaplan, uh, our producer, said there's there 's an attempt at erasure here you know that one of the things they try to do is sort of say all right let' you know let 's do the equivalent of wiping away all traces of our involvement with this person ever and I am actually very curious to see that movie uh, in his comedy it It seems as though he 's built into that some of the qualities and questions and dark places that we 're talking about in a very real way uh, about right now all right, so another part of this story, another aspect of the story last week was uh, a similar but by no means identical story about Roy Moore, the uh, judge who's now running for Senate from Alabama. Uh, these stories, and they come from multiple accusers, seem to involve him courting, and sometimes, more, at least on one occasion, more than courting, actually touching, uh, uh, and and what I would consider to be some version of sexual assault, on on, on teenage girls, 14-year-old girls. So, um, and, and this is one of these cases where, I mean, keep in mind, this is the guy who had the Ten Commandments up in his courtroom. This is the guy who positioned himself as, um, as a trumpeter of, of good morality and a censor of bad morality. This is the guy who wanted to restore God's law to this nation and was prepared to, to put up a big fight about it. And, I, you know, long, long ago, I asked um, Thomas More— not that other Thomas Moore, the Thomas Moore who wrote The Care of the Soul and, and other books like that. But this is way back in the 90s. And it was, I think sort of right after the Jim Baker stuff and the Jimmy Swagger stuff. And there were some other things like that going on at the time. And I said, why, why is it? Why is it when they're like talking about family values? you know, when they're talking about our, our decaying moral structure and, and they're deploring it and saying that they want to do something about this, that, you know, you could just start an egg timer before they're caught with a donkey and a bowl of jello or something. There's, It just happens every time. And he said they've already acknowledged the power that this material has over them. They, they have already acknowledged the fact that they're gaze is drawn to this material. They just haven't been honest with you uh, about what it means to them <laughs> and how much it means to them and what they're actually doing about it, too. And and I think that is at least part of the answer here anyway. Um, and all right, so we've got uh, David and Joyce. We'll get to all of you. Hi, David. You're on the air.
8: Oh, hi, Colin. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I've been fairly um, pleased to, to see that a lot of the outcry against Roy Moore has been from Republicans. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of it, all, all of it.
2: Mitch McConnell today said he believes the women. I thought that was pretty yeah. interesting.
8: Yeah, I know. I just, just heard that. But um, I also read this morning, and this is from Fox News, and they never fail to disappoint, but they're apparently lining up to support Roy Moore. And uh, Laura Ingraham in particular said something to the effect that I think kind of waving off progressives, saying, I have two words for you, Bill Clinton. And um, I don't know why she didn't pick Louis C.K. or mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein, but they may be stuck somewhere. But I just wonder what your thoughts are on that dynamic of Fox News somehow sticking their head up on this to support the
2: guy. Well, I mean, keep in mind Fox News. Fox News just lived through Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly. Right. Um, I mean, this isn't something where they have to go looking uh, across the landscape yeah. to find some part of it. And and they got rid of those guys, too. Yeah. They got rid of those guys, you know, because first of all, they were paying out these incredible judgments, and they don't want to pay out any more judgments. I mean, you get rid of those people because um, you can't afford to have them around any anymore. So, you know, Fox News that's their answer in house. Uh, now, here, I, I think Fox News look, these are businesses. They're all about ratings. So, what's Fox News going to get more ratings from, given what its demographic is, given what its audience is? Well, probably seeing if they can turn the Roy Moore story around has a bigger payoff for them at the ratings casino than going along with everybody else about it. You know, I mean, their audience would be interested in and gratified by uh, a way of turning this story around. All right, here's Joyce in West Hartford with an excellent point. Hi, Joyce.
0: Hi. I don't understand how you can have this show, and I listen to you every day, Hmm. and you can mention George Bush and you can mention Clinton, et cetera, et cetera, and you fail to mention the president that went on television and said that this is what he does.
2: Right. Although, to be perfectly accurate, he didn't go on television. He and, was
0: on television. I saw him on television.
2: Well, no. So what you saw, just so just so we, we talk about this accurately. I mean, you're absolutely right. Donald Trump should be part of this conversation, too.
0: No, he should be the part that gave everybody permission to act this
2: way. Well, OK, so well, let's talk about that for a second. OK, first of all, I just want to clear up the fact pattern here. Okay. So the television part of this was that he and Billy Bush, Bush were sitting on a, a bus, prior to an all-access Hollywood or whatever, access Hollywood uh, appearance, Trump doesn't know there's audio running and he's talking about this stuff. He's making he's the perfectly famous- perfectly honest. Yeah, he's making all the pussy grabbing comments and stuff like that. that.
0: perfectly honest.
2: Right, which should have destroyed his chances of becoming president of the United States. He got elected anyway, despite the fact that everybody knew about that. Think about that, think about what that means. That's another pretty interesting part of all this. Um, but let me just talk about, I, you know, I, I don't want to be over selective about this. And to be honest, I think all of us on the left need to look back at how we handled the Bill Clinton situation in the late 1990s um, because that came before Donald Trump. Right. And and although uh, as I look back at what I said and wrote at the time, I didn't make endless excuses for him. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, you know, it's this problem isn't confined to one party or the other. And certainly we know that we know one thing that Bill Clinton definitely did. He did it with Monica Lewinsky. It's just now a matter of record. And he lied about it when he was asked point blank about it. Um, You know, we we, I'm inclined to believe the Paula Jones story, which I might add, parenthetically is an awful lot like the Louis C.K. story uh, in its fact pattern. I'm inclined to believe the Paula. Jones story. We'll never know for sure. I never really thought Kathleen Willie was a pretty a particularly effective um, charger against uh, Clinton for reasons that would take too long to go into. And the Juanita Broderick thing is one of those things that's so long ago that I think it's hard to mentally adjudicate that question. But yes, Donald Trump, Joyce, Donald Trump absolutely deserves to be part of this conversation. But so does Bill Clinton, right? Bill Clinton, you know, that I, when we went through the 1990s, when the Star Report came out and we realized that a president of the United States was using the Oval Office for this stuff, you could argue that. What are the places this, quote-unquote, started was then?
0: Maybe it started then, yeah. but but let's just talk about now. Yeah. You know, I don't need—I'm not one of your big liberals, mm-hmm. I, but I do believe in morality. Yeah, me too. You've got the king of anti-morality, and you're talking about Louis C.K., who's just a comedian. This man's in a foreign country representing you.
2: No, I totally agree, although I actually don't think there is— such a thing as just a comedian. You know, oddly enough, people like Louis C.K. have a lot to do with shaping our attitudes uh, and shaping how we look at things. And, and we often, you know, cite their work when we talk about our own attitudes about things. I don't, I don't know that there's such a thing as just anybody, anything. There isn't anything, no such thing as just a movie producer. There's no such thing as just a comedian. And for that matter, there's no such thing as just a restaurant owner or just a forklift company owner. I mean, everybody ought to be made responsible for their behavior and for their actions. Women shouldn't be especially victimized because it's somebody really famous. Uh, We should understand that women are being victimized all the time by people who aren't famous, and that that's important too. There's no such thing as that word just, at least not for me. Here's Janet in Woodbridge. Hi, Janet. Hello. What's on your mind?
0: Well, the whole Roy Moore thing is just beyond belief. When I read the Washington Post story, it describes how he's 32 years old, and he picks out this 14-year-old who he knows is vulnerable. He Mm -hmm. tells the mother, you're going into this hearing. She shouldn't hear such things. You know, he's grooming her. This, to me, I I don't know how else to think of it other than this is pedophilia.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. It's it, it is similar to the Michael Jackson story to a certain degree, and it's certainly similar to so many of the stories that we heard about the Roman Catholic Church. Um, yeah, I th- I well, I don't know how it's not pedophilia. I mean, it you know, I mean it fits it, the description. Uh, and mean, yes, and vulnerable no, victims no are normal,
0: no normal man in his thirties should be looking to date high school girls.
2: No, no. I mean, and. Uh, no, <laughs> you're right. Um, and, and they can argue all they want about how well it's different in the South, or it's, or I love the Bible argument about this. The state auditor of Alabama said that uh, uh, it's okay because in the Bible, um, Zachariah was older than Elizabeth, by the way, that's not in the Bible, uh, and that Joseph was older than Mary, by the way, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> that's something he heard about somewhere, but neither one of those things is true, and even if it weren't tr- were true, it is not a defense for dating 14-year-old girls uh, in the 20th or 21st centuries. All right, so uh, Janet, thanks for calling. Uh, we have to take a break. Uh, I will have to search my soul and Bitsy Kaplan will search her soul. Do we want to keep talking about this for the rest of the show? Do we want to switch topics? I don't know. You guys have a lot of good calls, so maybe we should just stay with this.
1: My ears are good to the radio for my favorite calling show. What's my opinion? You wanna know who you gonna?
5: Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan. With help from me, Kyone Wolf, our intern is Ashley Taylor. The part of Bill Curry was played by Charlie Sheen. On tomorrow's show, revisit our conversation about the domestication of foxes and whether or not that's a good or bad idea. It's a very bad idea. And now, back to Colin.
2: Yes, we're going to be revisiting a show that we did this summer. um, And, yeah, it includes the domestication of foxes and uh, these Russian experiments where they tried to breed a fox that could live with people uh, and like people. They also tried to breed foxes that were like foxes from hell that would really hate people too. People they ignore that part of the experiment sometimes. All right. Our number is 860-275-7266. The time is short enough and the phones are bright enough. So that let's just keep talking about this. One of the questions that I also want to put out there, if you want to call 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266 is, that, is how do we as a society decide who gets to come back from this? Like I could imagine a year from now, Louis C.K. doing a one-hour HBO special or something that's mostly based on this incident in which in his self lacerating uh, and dark way, he talks about everything that happened and, and, and what happened when the when the press crisis broke, you know, when the media got a hold of the story and, you know, without appearing to give himself any kind of pass on this, uh, turns it into fodder for the kind of comedy that he does. Um, I could imagine that at least as a, an idea on somebody's drawing board. And, and I do wonder, you know, who gets to come back and who doesn't. I would point out that Marv Albert, who who I like. I mean, I like Marv Albert. He's a sports announcer, if you never, He was the legendary basketball sports announcer of all time at one point. And he had a case that's worse than any of the things that we've talked about, you know, that seemed to involve, um, first of all, biting somebody and probably, Forcibly, at the time, I think they used the phrase sodomizing. I'm not really sure that that's the phrase they would use now. Anyway, he came back. He's working. He's got, he's got a network job. I mean, so that, there's that whole question, who survives this and who doesn't, and why, and how do we set standards about whether people can be rehabilitated and, and can rehabilitate themselves? All right. So uh, here's uh, Daniel in Connecticut. Hi, Daniel. You're on the air. Hi, Lee,
4: Colin. i uh, been a big fan of your show for a while. Um, I really resonated uh with me the last conversation you had with uh you know your last guest who seemed to kind of uh, purport this as a uh you know um, evidence of some issues that maybe our current president has put forward, but um as you pointed out, which I you know really can recognize, um you know this is not exactly a uh you know maybe not in the same level of uh um brazenness. You know, but this is you know this is uh this is an issue in the nineties that was pretty significant and uh, I almost wonder if there's been a certain level of um of uh acceptability uh within this mind frame just due to you know a left leaning government associated with Clinton you know for the past twenty years and I certainly don't believe that's necessarily the case, but I think it's worth you know examining that uh you know maybe those who kind of fell within that political realm you know felt. Somewhat, you know, that this was maybe not acceptable, but at least drew uh, some degree of, you know, uh, credence, if you will. So.
2: I think th- I think that's a little bit too too broad a brush or too simplistic a way of talking about it. Because first of all, I don't think this stuff is confined to one political party or another. And and whether if we're talking about a left leaning environment, well, first of all. Um, You know, um, Barack Obama, you know, I mean, you never know. I I guess you can't rule out anybody. I guess you have to say that now. But I will be uh, shocked if, you know, any story like this about Barack Obama ever floats to the surface. Uh, I I don't think it has much to do with party. It has more to do with personality and psyche. And in terms of the left, look, the left, we shouldn't let ourselves off the hook if we made excuses for Bill Clinton, if we made arguments on his behalf, if we went too far in making those arguments. But I mean, one of the other things that the left can lay claim to in a way that the right cannot is the steady empowerment of women and the passing of laws and the advocacy of laws that make it possible for women to seek redress in these situations Uh, and the appointment of jurists who will act on behalf of women in these situations. I think that's much more. Um, something that grew out of uh, of quote unquote liberal policies than it is um, something that grew out of conservative policies, and so yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I but I hate. I hate trying to divide it up that way. I don't think it's a partisan problem. I think it's a societal problem. I think it's a problem we all have. We can't shove it over to the other side and say, no, it's those guys. It's their fault. Uh, all right. So I'm being I got probably have to have one more call left in my quiver here. Uh, here's Alyssa calling from Massachusetts, I think. Hi, Alyssa. Hi. You're on the air.
1: Um, so I wanted to talk about how, um, I think we need to have a conversation about how people like Roy Moore and, and there's been others too, whose names are kind of escaping me at the moment. I think like it was like the Duggars and stuff. They blame the LGBT community, especially the transgender community, um, you know, which I'm a part of. I'm a transgender woman, and I'm I'm getting tired of being blamed for this kind of stuff, and they're the predators. I mean, these are monstrous predators that do these horrible things, and they go, oh, well, you can't go into a bathroom because you're going to assault a child. And they're the ones, oh, look at that. They're assaulting a child. I mean, that's one of those, oh, surprise, surprise, yet another one of these complain the loudest, but yet they're the ones that are doing the, the, the predation, you know?
2: Yeah. No, first of all, it's a great point, Alyssa. Thanks for calling and making that really great point. And it's kind of what we've been saying in other contexts all along. I mean, when there was, you know, a decade or so ago, a national debate about gay marriage, you know, a lot of us kept saying... It's not as though us heterosexuals have done a really great job safeguarding the institution of marriage. We've done a really crappy job of I mean, we really can't point to marriage as something that we have been faithful shepherds of and something that has flourished under our stewardship. You know, and and, and so you're absolutely right. If, If you want to look at this whole thread of stories, not just Roy Moore, but kind of, you know, all of the heterosexuals in these stories, you know, who who? is more dangerous in a bathroom, you know? <laughs> um, right. You know, right. I
1: would be more uh, afraid of a guy like Roy Moore or somebody like that going into a, a bathroom with my child or or even being around my child. And it's like, oh my God. And then you hear these, you know, these other people, the sheriff, I think it was out in the West was up for election. And he was like, you know, uh, I'll, well, me and my gun will take care of the problem. If I ever catch one of these quote unquote people in the bathroom, you know, advocating open violence and, and the, pro- the, mo- the more disturbing thing is people are kind of like – some people, I should say, are okay with that. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah that doesn't bother us. Yeah, go ahead and elect him. You know, we know he's a, a- obviously a, a-, a person who advocates violence against people that are innocent. And then, oh, look at that. Oh, allegations of misconduct with a, a minor child. Well, It's just, it's, it's mind boggling.
2: Yes. Well, yeah. first of all, again, thank you for calling and making, making that point. It's a really great point. And, I mean, this whole bathrooms thing, I, I just have never understood it from the word go. I, very quickly, I, we're pretty much out of time, but I worked at a newspaper in the 1980s where there was, I think it was the late 1980s, maybe early 1990s, maybe early 1990s, where there was somebody going through um, – a sexual reassignment, as they called it back in those days. And um, when she was ready to start using the women's room, the women started flipping out at the newspaper. And I thought, do you have any idea how terrified this person is going into the bathroom? You know, how how scary an experience that's going to be as she starts to use the women's room in public places? You know, I mean, who cares about you guys? She's not going to do anything to you. <laughs> She's going to be more nervous than anybody. Calm down. Uh, Transgender people do not go into bathrooms looking for trouble. They go to bathrooms hoping that nobody will be horrible to them. Anyway, we, we have to stop there. Uh, and But thanks for calling. Thanks for being part of the conversation. If you liked it, we'll, we'll do it again. I like stuff like this. Thank you.